Are you saying uh, Jovan Caro or how old are you? <laughs> Can you just do this for me and use it? You want to know how old I am, Pete? No, I want you to just say your name and age. Name and age. Jovan Caro, 34 years old. It's like I've just been arrested. No, yeah, but I don't want any talk on it. Just, oh, okay. Just do it as it is. The second Start one. Start again. There between. we go. <laughs> Jovan Caro, 34 years old. Tony Martin, 59 years old. Pete Smith, 84. <laughs> and then we went up. Do you want a sound effect there? Pete? No, I didn't want anything. All right. And the date is the 1st of June, 2023. It is. Yeah. yeah. Now we've got a file. What do you think this show should be called? We Three. We Three. We Three. Has that been done before? Has, has someone else? I don't think so. What about Seats Three? You know how they'll say that? Sometimes it'll go, this vehicle Seats Three. Oh, yeah. That could be something. Or the Three, not Cavaliers, but the Three. <laughs> what do you call those motorcycles with the, the with thing on the side? The Pillion. 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 Billion passengers. Right, so you can have someone yeah, riding it and then someone on the back and then someone on the side. Yeah, or you, you were suggesting like a double sidecar. <laughs> a triple sidecar, someone else is driving. <laughs> AI is driving. Another word for the three. <laughs> yes. Something. Mm. I had three hands, like on a clock. Right. I don't know if that were You had fancy three. Fancy three because Pete used to. Uh, three. <laughs> he doesn't like that one. <laughs> Not about that. I had tablespoon. Tablespoon. Because one tablespoon, a US tablespoon, uh, consists of three teaspoons. Okay. And we're the three teaspoons. But, you know, that's American tablespoon. It's got to be something to really remember. Um, Uh, He's become Simon Cowell. uh, Baked dinner. That makes no sense. Why would you call it that? Monsters of Natter, I've written down. That's well. That's that, that's got a ring to it. <laughs> it does okay. You know what I mean. Closer. Uh, too many questions. That was uh, that was a show I was trying to get up as a TV show after Get This was axed. It's going to be like a TV version of Get This called Too Many Questions. Right. But there were too many questions. <laughs> it was six <laughs> hours what about, long. What about Three's Good Company? It's, well, yeah, because there was Three's Company. Oh, there? this was it. Yeah. So part of our task. Is to work out what the show's called. To work out what it's called. Yeah. Okay, there's a job. Pete, is it true that you invented the podcast? No, that's completely erroneous. You've seen this article, haven't you, Joven, on the internet? I have. You sent it to me. That Pete Smith and Philip Brady of GTV9, Pete Smith of the Saturday Hit Parade, Invented the podcast back in 1964. Well, now that you say that, it's all coming back to me. come on. From across the years, we were mad keen on radio. We wanted to get on radio. There was no TV. So we used to do an underground uh, in the garage of our home. We used to do what I guess would today be called a podcast. We would do a, you know, talk fest. A talk fest. Listen to this. This is from the TV Week. 
Oh, you've printed it, Tony. I have printed out on a printer. (laughs) Did you buy a printer for this specifically? (laughs) We still have one of those printers. (laughs) Sorry, I'm ruining the story. This is from the 8th of February, 1964. So this is like several months before I was born. Where's this from? This is the TV Week saying that um, you've invented your own 40-minute radio program, taped and dispatched to a limited group of listeners, monthly program, uh, which sprung from a closed-circuit radio station that Smith had installed underneath his home in the suburb of Kew. Underneath your home? In the garage, yes. Okay, right. Yes. Was that underneath? In part of the garage. Yes. So you already had a radio station up and running. Well, it was a radio station in as much as it went to kids' bedrooms in the neighbourhood on bell wire across the fence. <laughs> really? So what kind of listenership did you, like, what were the numbers? How nobody, were the ratings? Nobody ever made contact. <laughs> Pete, you have But to... it didn't destroy our enthusiasm. No, I Pete, can Pete, I tell. think you need to explain to me what bell wire is. Well, bell wire is simply if you have a little doorbell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just run on a little bit of wire. It doesn't carry a lot of voltage. It's just, right. you know, just a very low-level uh, bit of power that goes around and it's just, well, it was used for ringing doorbells. And, you, and you, we just used to get reels of this stuff from uh, army disposals because the war had finished by the time we were doing this. Had it? Are you sure? <laughs> well, the Second World War had finished. Okay. Yeah. They were working on the others. Yeah, you know, Korea and Vietnam was on the horizon. Mm, the so, yes, we used bell wire physically. So it wasn't broadcast in the true radiated sense. So you would distribute the bell wire yourself? We would string it across the fence. What did they think when they saw Pete Smith climbing over the fence with unreeling yeah, a coil of wire? Well, nobody ever complained because we had the kids' permission. Okay. Uh, and then the bell wire, of course, it meant you could uh, go through the bedroom window mm. but close the bedroom window right down because the bell wire is only minuscule, very tiny bit of wire. And then with two alligator clips, you'd connect onto the back of the speaker in his radio. Yeah, right. And could then, have got shocked then, I suppose. We didn't think of that. And what's the show? What? What is the show that's being distributed to all these households? Well, there were various shows. We had one kid come in, one uh, young fella came down, he used to love classical music. Right. So we blocked our ears for about an hour for that. Okay. And then I would do the hit parade. Yeah. So you've got like a turntable. Yeah, we had turntables and uh, my father had rigged up a normal turntable but with the pickup arm, with the needle, moved way out so that a 16-inch transcription disc could right. be played on it because wow. that's the way radio shows went to air sure. prior to tape. Yeah, and so how many hours are you broadcasting? On, just on a Sunday. Just, just on a Sunday afternoon okay. through right. to about 7 o'clock at night. And as I say, there was never any response from anybody <laughs> any time. But it didn't destroy Did, did you have people in the neighbourhood filling out ratings books? No. So you there could was tell no what shows no, were... We, no, 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 that would have been too soul-destroying. <laughs> okay. So, yes, I suppose that was the that was a podcast of its type. But hang on, so what was the radio station called that you were... 3KWQ. Okay. KW for Q. Right, and you were using your own name or did you have a... Oh, no, we were using our own names. Okay. Philip Brady used to come down from the asylum in Q. <laughs> Well, now, he, he lived in the grounds of now, the asylum. Phil Brady is still with us, and for anyone <laughs> listening to this... Is uh, everyone underground or in an asylum? Uh, no, his <laughs> father was superintendent. Let me ask Joven, do you know who Philip Brady is? No. You've never heard that name? 
Uh, maybe Peter's mentioned him. I mean, in this article that I read, but I, I don't really know. Well, he's a schoolboy pal of mine. Uh, you yeah. might, I may have mentioned him. Phil there. and Pete are really the, uh, is this fair to say, the last men standing from the classic Graham Kennedy IMT cast. Well, yes, there's still, as we speak, as we uh, do this podcast, there's a few people still around from that day and a, a few band members of the orchestra, the sure. Channel 9 band. But in terms uh, of people who are on stage uh, receiving a custard pie in the face, it's really just you and Phil, isn't it? <sighs> yes, that's sad but true. And Phil is still broadcasting on 3AW. He does a Sunday night Remember When Nostalgia program. That's right. That's right. And these, so according to this, uh, the name of the show was Broody's Hideout. Yes, it was. What's that about? Well, it uh, it was a corruption of the name Brady. Oh, yes, right. So it was Broody's Hideout. And it says that the tapes were distributed around Australia and as far as the United States and Malta. So this is a primitive podcast distribution network. Open real tapes. Yeah. A bit slower than today's podcast system. Right. <laughs> sure. Do you have any on disc or, uh, or save Philip somewhere? Philip has got the open real tapes. Yeah. And the, the boxes were all done up as though it was a rigid edge, you know, good artwork, you know, with cutouts of our faces and various bits and pieces. This is a quote from Pete. Our friends feel that Broody's hideout is just like eavesdropping on a conversation. It's exactly what we're doing Is, here. Are you suggesting we call the podcast Broody's Hideout? Because <laughs> I feel like that, that should be the title now. But you could call it The Hideout. The Hideout. It could be. And when was the last time an episode of Broody's Hideout was uh, recorded and indeed broadcast? I think uh, in the mid-50s. No, well, it's really not, but... Oh, so this this article's from 1964. Oh, well, that's talking about it, but we were so still doing So it was long discontinued even by the time this was printed. Oh, yes. Well, we'd stopped because uh, I'd got into radio in a minor form as a messenger boy at the ABC. Right. And Philip, he went to radio school and uh, was talking to Mr Lee Murray, who was the doyen yes. of, of radio uh, teachers, yep. uh, you know, and if you got through that course, you were lucky enough to go up to Albury or even the back of beyond where you'd read uh, cattle announcements and funeral announcements. That was your beginning in radio. But Philip yep. went in to discuss how many days, because you had to pay, sure. how many days he'd be doing it. And as he got in there at 9 o'clock, he was the first appointment, uh, the phone rang and it was Channel 9 looking for a part-time announcer just to fill in for two weeks, a booth announcer. Well, Mr Murray didn't have anybody. The kids hadn't come in for their lessons yet. Right. Didn't start till 10 o'clock. What am I going to do? Oh, I've got this kid here. Oh, look, I've got somebody. Yes, I'll send him down. So he took a, you know, took a risk. Philip got on the tram and went down to 22 Bendigo Street, Richmond, <laughs> and uh, for two weeks stint became... 20 years plus. And, but, of course, the victim of that was Broody's hideout because he's yes. obviously too big for Broody's hideout now. The, and yeah. as Joven uh, just suggested, if we were to bring back Broody's hideout, I mean, that's, is that 70, 60 years? I mean, that's surely the longest distance. Over 60 years. Between an episode of a show and it coming back. I mean. Well, it would be a reboot. It would be, a, but it would, we would still have some of the original cast. Yeah, that's true. Phil yeah, Brady legacy. is still. Characters. Exactly. And there could be in a retirement village or nursing yeah. home some of the original people who were supposed to listen to that. 
Maybe they're listening to podcasts. Maybe they might hear this. Imagine if, okay, so because I'm trying to think what the precedent is for uh, for this. You know, you had the comeback with Lisa Kudrow <laughs> that came back after like 11 years or something. But yeah. what's it where a show's been on and then it's been off for years and it's come back? There's uh, probably obvious ones I'm not thinking of. But uh, none would have the 60-year gap. Uh. Well, I, I feel like Curb takes a while to curb enthusiasm, yeah, <laughs> but not sixty years. No, he does surprisingly well to uh, to churn them out at, at his age as well. Exactly, yeah, right. Are you into Curb, Pete? Curb your enthusiasm? Uh, well, I think he's brilliant. Yeah, nothing short of brilliant. And those uh, episodes, if you like, the series uh, have got the the wonderful ability to look as though they're brand new when you renew your acquaintance with them. I think, yeah. Have you ever done something in your life and heard the Curb Your Enthusiasm music? Not a week goes by where I don't do something that mm. could be an episode of Curb Joe. I was in yeah. one episode with you. What, what uh, was this? The other night when oh. we had a drink and you thanked the wrong bartender. That's right. A bloke came up to us <laughs> while we are having a drink and, and he says, uh, are you Tony Martin? I go, yes. And he goes, I used to watch my parents watching The Late Show. Mm. Okay, really? You didn't feel the urge to maybe turn around and have a look at the show yourself? No, he's watching his parents. Yeah. He never he never said whether his parents enjoyed it. No, either. he, he just very, said he watched his parents. That's brilliant because, you know, The Late Show people themselves, yeah. they used to watch their parents watching Graham Kennedy and in Melbourne tonight and our <laughs> shenanigans That's right. on those five nights a week Live variety shows. And I think we even stole a couple of your ideas. We might have done a, a, a toga Roman sketch. <laughs> but the thing is, this bloke, yeah, he's, he's, you're right. He hasn't actually said whether he thought it was any good. He's just said, yeah, but I, I watched my parents watching it. Mm. So then about an hour later, we're leaving. <laughs> what did I say? And you say to one of the staff, say hi to your parents for me. Thinking it was the same guy. Oh. Yeah. As a different guy who looked quite similar. And he was quite quite confused. You didn't go back and uh, try and and find the original. And then I desperately try and sort of, I see what's happened and I explain. But by this point when I'm explaining, Tony's already out the door and I'm left in the Curb Your Enthusiasm. There it is. (laughs) Theme song. And then I I then explained, uh, hang on. See, this wouldn't have happened during Broody's hideout. You can answer it, Pete. As maybe a phone. Maybe a vintage. <laughs> you can feel free to answer it, Pete, because it could be Phil Brady. And then if if we get Phil Brady onto one of these microphones, it's okay. It's a Broody's reunion. Let's be honest. Yeah. Well, I I'm, we can we can I, him in. I feel rather honoured to be your first guest, really. <laughs> but I not, reckon Phil no Brady guests. should be the second guest. You're the co-host because it fills it in. Oh, I'm a co-host. Whatever yeah. this is, oh. it's, there's Thank no you. hierarchy. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're all idiots here, Pete. got a similar, well, it's not really a radio station. Here's what happened to me. When I was a kid, we had a reel-to-reel tape recorder in our class in English. This is in the 70s. Yes. And there was an, a project for English at school where you had to write a radio play and then get other people from the class to record it, and that was the project. Yeah. And I was quite uh, like a megalomaniac, and I've gone, no, I'm going to play every, it was a bit like Sizzletown, I'm going to play everybody in this. I'm just taking the equipment home. I took the reel-to-reel, I got permission to take it home, Gee, yeah. set it up, and then I had a, a normal cassette recorder 
we had, and I would tape theme music off the TV from TV shows. And so I wrote this play. It was a detective kind of thing with me playing all the characters. But, of course, my voice is like this, so everyone just sounded like this. Let's get down to the police station now. And what I did was I had the, uh, I think it was the music from The Professionals. Do you remember The Professionals? Yes. Would you know this show, Jamie? It's a detective thing. With uh, Crime show, wasn't it? Bodie and Doyle. They belonged to some government agency. Can you give me a a sample of the theme? The music was like this. So I just had that music for everything. So it'd be like that, that was the opening, and then the be right. We've got to solve this case. Let's get down the station. Dan and Nan, just constantly using this music to bridge. It wasn't meant to be funny. It was meant to be deadly serious. And we've played it the class, and the reaction just brought the house down. But I'm going. This is serious. Dan and Nan, and the teacher's going. I think you've used that piece of music too many times. <laughs> well, now there you have a shining example just off the top of your head yeah. of uh, the break between Sisseltown yeah. and what you did way back then. Well, so yeah, it we had its the birth. Uh, it's <laughs> had its birth in uh, Waikika Moop Cow. In, That's right. Know, where did you come uh, from? Pikokariki, actually, though. That was up the road. This, was, uh, this would have been in Thames, New Zealand. But the thing is, I did realise recently Nothing's changed. I'm doing the same thing. Does it exist? Let me say, ask you that. Have you got the open reels? I don't think so. I think it was the school property. Can I ask, Tony, do you remember the moment where people started laughing but you intended it for drama? Uh, yes, when he played it in the classroom. But how, how did it feel, though? Because that wasn't what you intended. No. I was uh, really um, felt like it was a disaster. <laughs> it was like yeah. it's a complete failure. This is this is a deadly mm-hmm. serious program. Why are you laughing? Yeah, right. Okay, so that's that feeling yeah. stayed with you. And I felt that years later when I got into amateur theatre and it was a huge, I've written about this, but I was in a production of A Man for All Seasons and I was the Spanish ambassador, deadly serious production at the Auckland Town Hall and I had to have black tights on. My, I, just, I have very thin legs, even thinner then in the 80s. As soon as I stepped out on stage, people just pissed themselves. <laughs> and then I also had a false moustache on and I had to kiss the uh, the ring of uh, the Pope or somebody and one occasion the moustache uh, stuck to his hand. So <laughs> that just killed as well. So I'm going, I, maybe I should just be doing comedy. Right. So do you think that was the point where you went, oh, I think I have something here that I... I th- that I could it, keep doing. I reckon it must have been because I don't think I ever did. No, I did do a couple of serious plays after that. But what I did do was I would wear three pairs of trousers So because I was very self-conscious about my legs. So wow. I, would, I would always appear on stage with like... To fatten them up. To fatten them up. I'd be wearing three pairs of, pairs of trousers. What was the moment where you went, this is intentionally funny and it will get a laugh and you've got that sense of accomplishment. Well, in New Zealand, the as I've explained many times, there was no comedy. There was no live comedy unless Billy Connolly toured or something like that. So the only way you could get a laugh on stage, there was no stand-up, is you would be in a play. So you'd be usually in an English play. It'd be something like Run For Your Wife. It'd be like a farce. And so I remember getting laughs in intentional comedies. 
mm. written by other people. So I've gone, yeah. Strange that case, because was, uh, all the radio shows, they would have played all the BBC staples. Absolutely. They'd take it from here and much binding in the marsh. Oh, yeah. All the pre, uh, you know, I'm the ones sorry. prior to the goon show. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'll read that again. That was after the goon show. But these are English. So everybody talked like, absolutely oh, like yes. this. And so on New plum Zealand. In, plum in the mouth. And New Zealand television would sound like this. Where you're listening to Country Calendar. People would speak like that. And then we had John Clark, Fred Dagg, oh, and yeah. he suddenly spoke like this, had a very normal sort of Kiwi accent. And then was, oh, okay, you can have that on the radio. That was a breakthrough. That then, was a breakthrough. For sure. Yeah. Hey, do you remember your first instance when you sort of thought, I have something funny to offer? <sighs> yes, I think so. At the Saturday matinees at the Palais Pictures in St Kilda, hmm. I would go on stage to read out some lucky seat numbers, but as a precursor, I used to mime a pop record. So you can imagine this little oh, kid. really? A kid of 13 or 14 standing on the stage at the Palais, yes. which is vast, miming Johnny Mathis or somebody, you know, or Tony Bennett, the whole number. And the kids, nobody ever got up and left. They were waiting for the main feature. But, but yeah, I used to, that was my first thing. And there were some a bit of tittering and giggling in the audience. I didn't realise at the time how stupid it looked. <laughs> but Because that was what you've just described was what Jerry Lewis, the uh, famous American comedian, Jerry Lewis, he started out with a mime act. Did he? And I was reading in, uh, I think it's the book, uh, Dino, about Dean Martin. They said, Joven has just mimed uh, <laughs> the, typewriter. Ger- <laughs> the, the Jerry Lewis typewriter act, exactly. Oh, but right. no, what he did was, um, this is what it says in the Dino book, Lewis would mime to a song called Pleaser No Squeezer De Banana. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, well, Dick, That's the podcast Dick. title. <laughs> Let's call it that. Please I think Dick Van Dyke also started out, Jeez. believe it or not, yeah. Dick Van Dyke doing that sort of stuff too. Yeah, man. Early on. Do you, are you a fan of Dick? Do you look up to your elders, Pete? Oh, of Dick course Van I Dyke. do. Of course I do. I used to look through the bedroom door at some of the, well, no, not look because there was no. We used to watch the radio. Of course. We'd watch Superman and Blue Hills and the search for the golden boomerang and all those staples of the time prior to TV. You watched the radio. It was like this, uh, yeah. imagination. In my house, what you did was you watched for it to finally come on because I remember you'd switch on the wireless and oh, then yes. we'd just stand there for about five minutes till, till the it, valves warmed till up. Till it heated up. <laughs> now, Chauvin, wow. did, let's get to you. Did you have recording equipment at your house? Uh, my cousins and I would record our own sort of fake radio shows um, and just record, uh, just sort of switch over to the radio to record oh. whatever was on. So so our recording of our show would have bleeds of Kyle Sanderland's oh, really? um, segueing to whatever song. So it was just by chance whether we could just switch over to get, let's say, a Ricky Martin song or right. something that was playing at that time. And what was your show called? Well, I don't think we had a title. I, th- I think it was, uh, oh, I've already forgotten, Squeezy, me no squeezy. <laughs> I was going to make that a joke. Pleaser no squeezer de banana. I believe it was pleaser no squeezer de banana. But no, yeah, we didn't have a, a title, but it is definitely a huge inspiration for a new podcast I'm working on. So Yeah. But yeah. were you, uh, was there a comedy feel to it or was it strictly yes, straight? Yes, I, I would, we would 
improvise ads and I would try and make my cousin and my sister laugh. Oh, so you were doing it back then? Yes. But yeah. you didn't assume any alter ego at that stage, did you? Were you still Jovan at that Yeah, I was still. So myself. Lewis hadn't been conceived? No, not yet. No, okay. I, I hadn't collected all my best and worst uh, elements of Jovan and made them Lewis. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that you went into comedy with Lewis hmm. to sort of not, I don't mean this nastily, but hide behind the character? Uh, no. I don't no. mean hide in, yeah, the, you know, in, the, you mean. in the cheating sense. Yeah. I just mean to give expression to. I, I worked know. out just experimenting with character that I could get away with a lot more if I pretended to be this idiot. This version of myself, yeah, and and, and I can't, of, I can't really do that dress like this. No, but in none of that stuff, you came out of it, did you? Out of you didn't come become Joe Van. Uh, no, I've never really. No, whereas Tony assumes all these characters, yes. but everybody knows from the start and the finish that it is Tony. Well, so a lot of people he's don't not being, he's not no. uh, hiding's the wrong expression. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always he's not committed adopting to adopting whatever you want to say. Oh, yeah, but Tony yeah. Is, is straight out with it. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't got a, 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 a uniform on a suit. Or oh no! But I, all the characters, I all the characters, like not all of them, but some of them just say things that I reckon, <laughs> you know, like yes, yeah, the, yeah, sure. You know, the, yeah. there's bits of my opinions are filtered into oh, each every one of them. Yeah, some of them. It's, or it's or it's the opposite of what I think, or it's an exaggeration of what I think. Yeah, or yeah. yeah. Do you still have those recordings of Lewis? Of no pre. Oh, I do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I do. I have See, to. We can play one between. now. <laughs> Let's go to the tape. <laughs> that would be amazing would if we could play each recording. That would have been gold, that, Tony. And the, yeah. tape, the little tape that you recorded it on, the open reel tape, might have cost, uh, I don't know, $10 or £10 at the time. Yeah. But a kid... You know, you couldn't say, oh, could I buy that, please, sir? You know, you couldn't do that. What a shame. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'd tape over. It's a very good impression of me as a nine-year-old, though. <laughs> could I buy that, please, sir? <laughs> yeah, Imagine that. I, I just so wish, because that's the thing, in my head. It's in your head. I'm hearing sure. your voice. Oh. But then when you play the tape, it's, yeah, that's right. Can I'm, I buy that, please, sir? I'm Dick Barton, special agent. Yeah. And I had a voice like that till about 17, I think I still sounded like that. And I've got, I tell you what I do have a recording of uh, somewhere is a Super 8 film. Do you know what Super 8? Yes. Yes. That was an old format and Mm. it was a cartridge, three-minute cartridge. It wasn't like video. You couldn't just burn it off. You you had to be very, you have to have storyboards. So I made a Batman film, which was called Batman Again. (laughs) And the only sound was, because we didn't have sync sound on the, Super 8. So there was just the Dick Barton theme music playing over and over on a loop and me narrating it. So it'd be like, Commissioner Gordon was furious that Batman had once again broken the rules and gone about solving the case on his own. <laughs> it just sounds like that. Was there a, but there was a soundtrack? Yeah. So but on the Super 8? No, it's, uh had a stripe. You would stripe it? Yeah, I know, but that's very, very uh, high end. That- <laughs> well, what, but it- <laughs> no, really, to have a Super 8 that First I've ever heard of it. But I you could it was dub any- sound on, so it didn't. Ha- it wasn't live sound. So you're filming the film silent, yeah. and then you stripe the film, and then you can add two tracks. So I had just music <laughs> and and me talking. And does that exist today? That, on I, that, that's I magnetic have, striping. Yeah, yeah. I think I've converted it to VHS. As the waters rise, you need to move everything up to the yes. next format. And you that was also do. a serious drama. No, Something it was, to be taken no, seriously. No, it wasn't. It was a Batman. It was a 
parody of okay. Batman, Batman the TV series. So the only good joke in it, it was like a 10-minute film. The only good joke was, remember in Batman, he would be climbing up the wall and it was just clearly filmed on a sort of horizontal surface with the camera on its That's side. Good. That's clever, yeah. So we had that. We had Batman and Robin climbing up a wall and then the bad guy just runs past them and drops a bag of money, which, of course, goes <laughs> sideways onto the wall, just picks that. And that got a huge laugh. That was the only laugh I remember when we played it to the class in 10 minutes of silence except for, oh, the wall bit was good. <laughs> Tell you what, that's an achievement for its time. But I entered it in a school filmmaking competition on a TV show uh, hosted by Richard Wilkins then called Richard Wilde. I wonder if he remembers it. I Well, he's sick of me telling this story because <laughs> I remember I met him once because I'm constantly telling the story and he goes, mate, you've got to give that story a rest. Did you say it's on a VHS tape? Yeah, I think I've got a VHS of it, but it's terrible. Batman is just wearing a pair of underpants on his head for a mask. Yeah, and- we've got to digitise that. <laughs> I can make that happen. Yeah. Okay. yeah, put it on a memory stick or wait a little longer and you can have an implant in your cheek. <laughs> yeah, you could just watch it just <laughs> closing your eyes. Yeah. I think that's how Richard Wilkins sees it every time you mention it. He's going to be furious he if he hears this. <laughs> and my prize was the school, which I had wagged for two weeks to make the film, so I'd not turned up to school for two weeks because I turned into a sort of Eric von Stroheim-style wow. uh, filmmaker. And there'd been all this trouble because I'd taken time off school and I'd pulled uh, cast members out of class to be in, in the film. And the school got like $4,000 worth of equipment, like projectors and cameras, and I got a $49.95 AGFA film splicer, which I wasn't happy with because it was tape splicing and I used cement. So I was, that's, that's, how, that's how David Fincher-like I was at age it's Incredible. 14. Very similar to how I would edit my, my version of your parody, I guess, yes. where I would make my own Matrix Oh, Matt, did um, you do Matrix? Yeah, I did the Matrix, uh, not parodies, they were like fan fiction short films. Right. And so, I would rope in my cousins to be in them. Right. And I still have them on DVD. Um, wow. But it was just before iMovie was being used. I made three. The first one was shot on- So a Matrix trilogy? Yes. Yeah. So what are the titles? <laughs> I can't remember the first one. The Matrix Decode, I can remember it. Yes. The Matrix Reclaim. Yes. And then the Matrix Redeploy when, when the real sequel started going re, 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 resurrection. For and is, is the first one really good and the second two slightly disappointing? They're all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the – I think maybe the second one – I think the third one is where my directing is a little bit better. Right. And what about bullet time? Were you able to, uh, you know, emulate the special effects? I wasn't, no. I, I tried. In There were in-camera effects where you could oh, turn on trail yes. with, with high eight. Trail. And so that looked like we were going faster than we actually were. But the story was terrible and my cousins hated me for... for <laughs> how serious I took it all because yeah. they really just wanted to hang out and I really wanted to get the shot right. And what's the best bit in all of them? There's a bit where I am running. So hang on, who are you? You're, I'm, you're Neo. I'm playing a kind of Neo character. Uh, yeah. And uh, I run up, jump off a tree, and then in the same movement I kick one of my cousins in the face and they go, uh, they jump in the air and go flying. And then wow. they, Esteban, my cousin, was very, he really enjoyed the action sequences and gave it everything. And so he and I would would sort of lead it. But my sister and my other cousins, yes. they just hated me for it. <laughs> and you can see that tension on screen, yeah, which right. is what makes watching it so enjoyable. And are you going to, as with the real Matrix films, 
uh, after a very long uh, interval, make a fourth one. Yeah, I'm writing one at the moment. Now, Pete, surely you must have made some films. In the, so you've done audio, you've invented the podcast, as we've established. Well, I mean, it's not films per se. Because was the home film you, equipment? Uh, in no, the 50s? we went. We weren't in that, uh, you know, financial league right. to be able to actually yes. have moving picture film. No, I had friends, uh, wealthy friends at school, who parents had sixteen millimeter projectors and cameras and all that sort of thing, which wow. was a big deal in those days prior to television. But I suppose the first things, are, the only things that exist of me dramatically, yeah, that's taking a bit of a license saying dramatically, but are the uh, the sketches we used to do night after night on IMT, which had their beginning, incidentally, in vaudeville. Of course. On the Tivoli and the Theatre Royal and so all those. So what would be the first piece of film or tape that was made with you on screen? The very first image. I think... Probably in the days before video was used to promote records, you know, the video clip yes. didn't exist. And so... Oh, that's, I forgot. Sorry, Joven, you may not be aware. Pete also invented the music video. What? Well, that's going to have to be... We'll do that in the next episode. But I'm not joking. You invented yeah. the music video. Yeah. Well, uh, in a way that hadn't been done before, that's true. And then We're, Michael Jackson just perfected well, it. I, I used right. to do well, a hit parade on radio. You had a crack. And when television started, they said, you're going down... To Channel 2 to do your hit parade. And I said, oh, terrific. What, I sit on a chair and look at the camera and introduce the records? Yes, yes just like you do on radio. I said, well, what will we do while the record's running? He said, oh, we'll do it on a Saturday afternoon. We'll run the sporting results. And they did on a credit crawl typed on lavatory paper. They rolled the credit crawl while Elvis Presley sang, he was around in that time, sang Blue Hawaii. And I thought, oh, to hell with this. So in the next episode... I come up with an idea for proper visuals. All right, let's we'll talk about that. So the first instance of you on film would be one of those hosting the hip parade. Uh, well, that wouldn't have been done on film. It was going out live. I think the ah, first yes. thing was the first moving image. Uh, the first broadcast. moving images would have been on something like Fancy Free, which is on Fancy Free. An old, yeah, Fancy that's, Free. That's going to be another. A a it's tree, a whole other episode. A little variety show, which was done with the Channel Two Orchestra. Yes. And, uh, you know, just photographed a radio show, really, photographed. And that went round on 16mm film. There were no networks. Right. They had to be, you know, physically the film had to be played in one state and then sent to another state. And so what year would that have been, the first? That was about 1962. 1962. See, my the first time I would have appeared on film, I think, was a, a commercial for warm air heaters that was made in New Zealand and would have been 1983. And, Joven, when would be the first time you appeared would on have film? been around 1991. 91, what was that? Uh, was pre does video count? Yeah. It's not film, not no. actual developed film. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my parents would hire, uh, my dad would hire a video camera whenever there were family events and he would record birthdays. And oh, Gee, so that got- was ahead of its time too, to go and... Uh, you know, hire equipment to do special events like that. That's yeah, great. so I have recordings of some birthdays. I'm dressed as a clown. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a, like a lady's wig because I couldn't find a clown of wig. Of course. So I just, <laughs> just look like a 70s little lady. <laughs> that still exists? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I have photos right. to prove it too. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, and for me, that's modern. 
Very, very grateful to my Even your too. stuff's modern. Well, but okay. Mine, well, we have well, got... Well, yeah, you had a crew behind all your... I know, but it's cobwebs in the camera compared to your stuff. <laughs> There's still some footage in the files of Fancy Free. I've seen it. It still exists. Uh, all right, well, I think that... Uh, is that everything we want to do for this one? <laughs> we don't even know what this is called yet, do yeah. we? Broody's Hideout. What was the other one? I quite like Broody's Hideout. <laughs> the bananas. <laughs> Please and no squeezer to banana. The problem is we'll have to make sure there are no existing podcasts for these yeah. titles. Hashtag every single word so that people can find it. Well, Pete you've been here. listening to or have just missed Tony Martin, Joven Caro and Pete Smith. Pete Smith. Speaking. <laughs> <laughs> podcasts that are also named these things. That's right. I don't have a copyright on those things. When you don't want to copy. No, you just don't want to compete. You You just don't want to compete with a show with the same title. Although it doesn't stop people. Like if you were to call it Three's a Crowd, I guarantee you if you type that into Apple, it'd be like 20 Three's a Crowds. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's Three's, yeah. Okay. Bloody Um, Three's. (laughs) Three's. All right. Cutting. Enjoy the show. Thanks. Ooh, an exclusive area. Hold on a second, buddy. Have you got access? Oh, uh... Are you a member of the Hideout Society? Sorry, what? It's a Patreon page designed to help the making of the show and give you access to exclusive content. The show? What do you mean, the show? From the Hideout, the monthly podcast you're enjoying right now. Behind you. Okay. Thanks, pal. Good to see you. How come you let him in? Members only. He's a member. Ah. Royal Blue. What? Well, it's different subscription tiers. There's Beige, Beaujolais and Royal Blue. Each grants you different levels of access to all kinds of extra goodies. Gotcha. Look, I'll have to have a think. You've got it. Golly, it's so fun and exclusive in here. Uh, so how do I sign up? Just visit patreon.com forward slash from the hideout. Okay. Done. Welcome to the Hideout Society. Why, thank you. Beaujolais. Royal Blue. Royal Blue. Though Beaujolais is still fun to say. Now let me teach you the secret handshake. Oh, wait, I'll show you the horse first. <laughs> <laughs>